Podcast. This is John. This is Trav. This is Rich. Welcome to the TriTac Games Podcast, your podcast of finding strange people in your backyard, and they look just like you. What do you do? Shoot them or invite them into tea? I'm looking for Millard Fillmore, but he's gone again. I thought he was president for 16 years. This week we are talking about Bureau 13. And specifically, we're talking about interdimensional incursions into the Bureau 13 universe. Now, when we say incursion, we're not talking about the other game called Incursion, because that's a whole other game, science fiction. This is about interdimensional traveling into the world of Bureau 13 through various means, and we're going to talk about that. Now, we're not talking primarily about Fringeworthy because, yes, we know that that's all about interdimensionality, but there's lots and lots of other ways that people can slip from one universe to another. Well, we mentioned about the cell phone networks and other things like that, and it has created over the United States essentially an energy web, an energy you know, network, and as a result... Um, anything like this would probably be somewhat disruptive to the system. It may not last long, but if you're the Bureau and you're analyzing you know, service disruptions or m- misconnections or even extra you know, power, uh, just whatever it could be, any kind of a deviation from the norm could indicate the, ex- the existence of an interdimensional portal. At least it would give them some place to look and eliminate you know, the possibility. Well, yeah, I'm sure the Bureau has tapped into the whole cell phone network, the whole just telecommunications network, because let's say something blacks out oh, over the American Southwest because, just for S&G, a Navajo spirit appears on Earth. And the electrical discharge from that causes things to short out in like a 50-mile area. The Bureau's going to pick up on that. They're that attuned to it where they're just going to be like, that's not normal. Oh, that's why. Yeah, it doesn't have to be that disruptive, Trav. It could be something along the lines of, okay, this happens and it causes a a, a burst of microwave energy that's low level, relatively low level, and it goes out uh, around it and it causes every phone in, let's say, 20 miles to drop its call. Well, yeah. everybody's just going to turn around and, and connect. It'll just connect right back up again. But you go and you look at the logs and say, okay, we had 5,000 drop calls at this instant. Yeah. And then or, start doing the, you know, the examination of, uh, you know, where was it most prevalent? Where was it least prevalent? Let's figure out where the epicenter could be. Yeah. Or you get or, or you get 1,000 Skype calls go cyborg That's not unusual. Yeah, no, people might even notice the problem with that. Yeah. But the Bureau might find something. You know, it, it depends on you know how knowledgeable the Bureau actually is, how knowledgeable you play the Bureau. Mm. Because like a lot of the stuff that we're saying here it involves the Bureau being deeply connected and hacked into all these systems that they're, they, they have whole cadres of people trying to keep them safe. So it yeah. may be that that's just a little bit too public, and maybe they do have to fall back on other means like their psychics and other things like that, that they can't do that. But if they can, then mm. this would be one way of being able to detect you know, uh, what we assume would be a major energy thing. Now, if it's magic, then you know, it could be, complete, be very, very quiet. 
that's where that energy, you know, those those ley line things would be more of a of an issue and, and probably being disruptive rather than just a, a microwave energy goes off. Probably is not going to affect the ley line. I I always had agents in various organizations. There'd be agents in the NSA, and then so instead of the bureau having all this stuff tapped into, they're just using what the NSA already has to tap into this stuff. So it, you may not actually need to have a whole large cadre. You just need to have a, a lot of people in the right places, in the right positions to be able to tap into that and, and then feed the information to the Bureau. Mm-hmm. So it's another way of working around having the Bureau being the largest bureaucratic organization in the United States. Yeah, that's what <laughs> it sounds like. It also yeah. <laughs> means that these people, that we have an unbelievably large number of people keeping this secret. Yeah. Yeah, if you can keep it, if you can cut down to a small handful, you know, well-placed people, you know, who can be intercept information, then it makes it much more manageable at that point. Because all it takes is one person who got bad job review, and hey, the bureau is public now. <laughs> Of course, uh, one of the best ways of detecting whether a portal is open is because all of a sudden you've got people or monsters or anything else that are now in the area, <laughs> and mm-hmm. you've got to deal with them because you know they're coming in and they're establishing a beachhead or they're doing something. Why are these people here? How did they get here? Oh, well, probably there was a, some kind of a rift or something. Yeah. You might have to That's deduce it, it later. Yeah, this actually plays into our weird zone game. I and mean, you could have a weird zone incursion. I mean, it could probably happen more than once. So, yeah, someplace in Topeka, Kansas, a house vanishes, and there's a different house there now with barracks and barbed wire and gun towers because they've been doing this for a while in the weird zone. And now you have this small encampment. It's going to be there for three days, but, you know. How does the bureau deal with that? Especially, how's the bureau going to deal with the fact what shows up after they leave? Because it's not going to be the house. As Richard pointed out, it's the last place they visited. Heaven help you, what's on that last place they visited? Because this going to be there permanently. So, is there any other way of, of detecting a uh, interdimensional incursion besides what we've already mentioned? Being there, your own eyes, right? Just yeah, being at yeah. the wrong place at the right time. Serendipity is is it drives so many uh, RPG games. So you know, don't don't tur- don't turn down serendipity. You have to be sitting at a coffee shop, and that's when you see the truck flash out of nowhere and start driving down the road. Okay. <laughs> you know, things like that. Uh, other means of detecting. Um, I think we, I think you know between divination, science, and the World Wide Web. I think those three programs got covered. I would say. What about in the bureau, SMEs on dimensional travel? People know about the concept, the wherewithals of traveling between dimensional barriers. Now, two come to mind for me. Of course, the one I created, Colonel Shea Talbot. Now, granted, she is the liaison between the Bureau and Unita and Taos, because originally she was from Victorian Earth. But in her time working with the Bureau, she's kind of sort of become the go-to person for all-dimensional travel. Now, from what I remember of her stats, she's not a trans-dimensional physicist on any level. But she has had to do a lot of research over the past, oh, she's been with the Bureau now for, let's say, 10 years. She's had to do a lot of research and talk to a lot of interdimensional beings about, okay, what are the, you know, the five W's on dimensional travel? Who, what, when, where, and why? You know, how these things come about? How could these rifts appear? Um, Just all these various things. So she's had to learn. She's had to gain knowledge on dimensional travel that did not have to do with the fringe paths. The other one I'm thinking of is Flash Jervis, the man who can supposedly hear the songs from other dimensions and whatnot. And so he, I think he's an astronomer by trade, or that is his training, but he's, he hears and knows things that he would be another go-to guy as far as dimensional travel and him i think he would count as a physicist those are the two people i think that that come to mind as far as 
who do I talk to about interdimensional travel if I'm working with the Bureau? Yeah, and don't forget Ray Robinson, who's probably built half the built a few dimensional traveling devices. Yeah. Maybe yeah. accidentally too. That that's kind of a gimme. I think anyone who plays the Bureau kind of, you know, first oh, something about science, Ray Robinson, you know. So <laughs> Well, I can think of two other ways. One is kind of like divination, and that's where somebody from the future comes back and says, you guys got to stop this because it's going to turn into hell on Earth if you don't. So that's kind of like divination, except it's using time travel instead of, you know, getting knowledge from psychic or, you know, um, or godly type things. A movie line comes to mind right now. You know, going back in time to change the future that's cheating. <laughs> the other method I can think of is if it's a demonic incursion, mm. call up another demon, somebody higher up the food chain and say, hey, some of your boys over somewhere where they're not supposed to be, what's up? If you got some kind of a good relationship or uh, you got some kind of a deal you can cut, you might be able to get all of the information you need on where, how, and why. Or go the other, go the, the juxtaposition. Call up an angel and find, and, and an angel comes and tells you, yeah. hey, we've got, you know, some of Lucifer's boys are, you know, they're going to start screwing around up here. You might want to deal with that. And they send Michael. And then you have to explain what happened to Topeka, Kansas. Well, no, no. Afterwards. No, no. The angels... <laughs> The angels know that they've got higher things to deal with. Yeah. They, they're going to send the Bureau. It's like they're human. They're in the population. They'll keep it on the down low. Let the, just let the Bureau know that some of Lucifer's boys are going to cause some stuff in the near future and be in this general area ready to go. Of course, we're not talking about the other dimensional tra travelers, which came from comes from Lovecraft stories. They, I think, both the demons and the and the angels would go. Mm, yeah, we're not touching that. <laughs> Again, beyond our pay grade. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but those guys have plenty of other effects that make it pretty obvious that they've arrived. Yeah. Mm -hmm, yeah. So. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They're they're not what you call um, surreptitious. Yeah. Subtle. <laughs> yeah. Not subtle at all. Subtle like a pivot. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you think the bureau's got it pretty well covered, or do you think that there's incursions happening all the time, and the bureau is just is just hoping that you know, or doing cleanup afterwards, you know, erasing people's memories and stuff, and say, man, if we could just get there a little bit sooner, we could catch these SOBs. Uh, let's see. Well, I'm I'm trying to recall anywhere else that I mean, uh, supernatural senses, technological senses. Uh, the blogosphere, other people telling them from different places and times. I'm drawing a blank on what else could be used by the Bureau to pick up on. I'm, I'm pretty much out, too. I think we've covered a lot of things. I just wondered, yeah. in your campaign, do you see this, the Bureau, as being always on top of this sort of thing? Or do you see them being more of a reactive situation? The main thing we say about Bureau 13 is that all stories are true, that there are so many different types and ways of dimensional apertures opening up that the Bureau kind of has to pick its battles. I mean, they may end up getting five or six different calls on, you know, or not calls. They might get five or six different pings on something, and they might have to say, okay, out of these six, we're going to have to send four teams out to check these out because these rate the highest threats. The other two are just a guy in a suitcase that appeared in an alley, a, a stampede of chickens that appeared out of nowhere. We can chalk them up to somebody got lost in somebody's chicken coop. There was a hole in the fence. There's some British noble complaining that he was in France about to meet Napoleon. And what is he doing here? What's going on? Well, if he's in America, yeah, it'd be our problem. But if he was a British noble in Britain, that's the farm's job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there are recorded accounts of like caterpillars and things like that covering miles of countryside and then vanishing mm -hmm. overnight. Yep. Or mysterious slime showing up and, you know, vanishing. 
one of our people who was in the military dropped on a hill to do maintenance and ended up like waist deep in ladybugs for no reason. Oh, Oh, uh, then that little side I made eh, is an actual disappearance in our in our world. Uh, a Brit- he was a British ambassador was going to be visiting Napoleon, and he walked around the horses, and he was never seen again. He just vanished. Remember, in, was it Germany or France? The green boy and girl that showed up. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was those middle ages. They they survived, or the boy died. She survived for many years. Her skin tone went back to normal. She was served in a royal household. Not incursions are are malevolent. There, you may actually have benevolent or neutral. The city that appears in the middle of, uh, say, Nebraska. It's a little city, hundred people. They're just happy to be there. They don't speak English. They don't speak any language that's related to any language on earth. But they're happy, and as long as you leave them alone, they'll be fine. Oh, okay. Well, then there's a, here's another one, and this is they made a movie about this one, Brigadoon. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It wasn't a result of a curse. It was actually a result of a prayer that was answered. Yeah, but I mean, still, that would be a dimensional. Yeah. Because they go in that pocket dimension, and then they just appear here in this world for like, what, a week or whatever, and then they're gone for a day. A day, and then they're gone for like another 100 years or whatever. Yeah, a a day every 100 years they appear. Yeah, up in the Catskills. There's a place where if you go to, you get to drink beer and play nine pins, and it's an, and it's eighty years later when you come out. Oh yeah, and you're eighty years older too. Let's talk about the uh, kinds of in- dimensional incursions that are already in the Bureau Thirteen game. So if you look in the main book, the D twenty version, the first one that I ran into was gargoyles. Gargoyles was actually the result of an invasion in the 11th century by magicians from an alternate dimension as the creators, and they created a magically engineered soldier race to fight their battles, which are gargoyles. What happened, of course, that was that they discovered that when they were on Earth, for some reason, their magic didn't work as well. And so rather than go into a slogging, long-term pacification of our, our world, they said, eh, screw it. And they turned around and left, leaving a lot of their gargoyles behind. And that's one reason why there were gargoyles left behind. You know, that's why they existed. They came out of nowhere, and they remained afterwards. And you know, so, some of them are still in hiding. Uh, mm-hmm. Because they are a race and they can breed, but the masters, the creators, are gone, and that was an incursion that happened back in the 11th century. But remember, he chewed in self-defense, but he never swallowed. Yeah. <laughs> right. According to the book, there's actually quite a few dimensional travelers that are not necessarily inimicable, and therefore the bureau actually runs a transdimensional traveler relocation program. To resettle and watch out for the lost folks that come from mm-hmm. accidentally come from other dimensions. So this mm-hmm. is actually happening all the time. You get the Roman Legion that they're, they're busy we're fighting off fighting Native Americans off the colonies, and all of a sudden, boop, there here they are now in New Jersey. Cuvatus. <sighs> now, of course, you know the the most common dimensional hopping beings are demons. Yep. So, Trav, what is their normal modus operandi? Well, demon, they end up being summoned by somebody. Whoopee witches or kitchen witches will do it. And you know how they are. They'll use cheap or similar but not quite exact spell components. They'll summon the demon, and the demon won't be bound, so it ends up, well, stuck here on Earth with no real purpose. It can't get home. So it does what it does best, tormenting humans and playing cat and mouse games and generally just messing with them. Right, but most demon incursions are purposeful. They're intentional. Someone goes and calls it a demon for the demon to do something. And in, you know, there's a lot of things that demons can do. John, what are all the things that the demons can do that people would summon them for? Mm, run their telemarketing operation. Uh, no. We hereby apologize to our players who just happen to be in the telemarketing industry. Someone, someone's in to, to, to get even with someone else. I don't want you to hurt, though. I just want to get even with them. Revenge. 
yeah, revenge, you know, or just kill them. You know, of course, if that's the case, you should just get a pistol and shoot them if you're going to do that. Uh, calling a demon means you want them, you want to torment them. You want to make them really suffer for whatever wrongs they did to you, real or imagined. Right. Uh, that's one reason. Another reason is wealth. You want money. And you'll sell your soul for it. So that's another reason you would see people to call demons. And I think another one, this is actually from Larry Niven, you thought you'd try and see what happened. <laughs> well, okay, there's always going to be idiots who do that. That's, that's, yeah. the main, that's the main reason. I mean, those kinds of demons are the ones that usually get free. Yeah. Right. I poke it with the stick. Right. Yeah. But a lot of times demons are summoned because they have information. They want you mm. want to learn something. And the demon, there's a demon of knowledge or just a demon's been around so long it knows things and they can give you the answers that you're looking for. Uh, sometimes demons will grant you powers, supernatural powers that you wouldn't be able to have otherwise. Hmm. That makes you wonder. Do we actually, is there a, okay, since all stories are true, there is a Hogwarts someplace. There's probably an American, and I know there's an American version of it as well. So you can imagine you're cramming for the final exam, and I need, I need an extra edge. I know. And, yeah, that can be all sorts of fun. It's bad. Yeah. <laughs> you would think that a place like Hogwarts would have, you know, a lot of detection-type spells to put a stop to that sort of thing. Well, you don't do it in Hogwarts. You go out in the forest someplace. You, can, yeah. you find a clearing, and you set up the rocks and, uh, and set ma ma magic circle, and you summon a demon so you can get an ace on the uh, alchemy test. Right. Well, <laughs> the only thing you need to get an, a an ace on the alchemy test is that potion that makes everything right. Makes you excellent <laughs> at everything. Yeah, or a time travel device. Right. Uh, <laughs> I mean, with the with the po that particular potion, you could accidentally be adding the 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 material the materials. Even if you didn't know how to do it, you'd be accidentally throwing the right stuff in at the right time, and you end up with a perfect potion. Oh, it's like it's like the the, the luck uh, the luck virus from Red Dwarf. Okay, which was wonderful. Yeah. All right. Okay, so, I mean, there's a lot of reasons that people summon demons, and, you know, and if they could do it, uh, and, and demons can, uh, I mean, there's going to be a cost, uh, the long-term cost, uh, there's a, a lot of seduction going on, which is one reason why the Bureau doesn't want people to know about demons and stuff like that, because the demons could literally set up a, you know, hey, we'll, we'll solve all your problems, you know, set up a, a you know, a 12-step program, you know. <laughs> No matter what your problem is, we got the solution for her. We got a spell or something that'll take care of it. Of course, you know, mm -hmm. we're signing the dotted line here or something. You know, there's going to be a cost. Most uh, demon summoning is intentional. It's it's when people don't know how to do it, or you s bring out the wrong thing by accident, or somebody piggybacks through the portal along with the thing you're summoning. That's oh, happened in a bunch of stories, and all of a sudden you, you're you're not prepared for two demons. Yeah, you summon a lemur and you end up getting a Balrog with it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, who, who was it? Was it Orcus? You can't say his name, otherwise he show he shows up. Uh, you think you're sure you're not talking about Bloody Mary? No, no. This <laughs> is from Handyman, or this is from D and D, or uh, Beetlejuice. No, no. You're. I know what you're thinking about. You're thinking of Haster. Ha you say it three times, like Haster, Haster, Haster. First time you say it, he sends monsters to basically whoop on you. You keep mm -hmm. saying it. He finally shows up himself to get rid of you. No, I think Orcus also is one of those demons that would show up if you uses if he uses his name in vain to, as well from, from the D and D book. Well, I, mean, I, I don't yeah. remember that. Yeah, or it's, there's some demon, but yeah, yeah, and also Beetlejuice. All right. There are some uh, long-standing places on the bureau, in the Bureau Thirteen world where which are called weird places. Dimensional warps simply happen randomly, and there's nothing the bureau can do about it except try to keep people out of them. They're not open portals in the sense that there's just a portal to somewhere else open all the time, but it's a place where it just seems like it's ripe for it. And, you know, every once in a while, something's going to pop through. Or if you're, you know, either if you're in the area, you could pop through to someplace else. And there's a reason why most Nevada is owned by the government. <laughs> okay. One of the problems about places like that is that they are enormous. 
attractors of other supernatural, especially mm. magicians and psychics, because they can use psi tap and other and other things to suck all the arcane and psionic type energy out of the area that's constantly being generated. Yeah. That's why in my game, every time you find a toadstool ring, if you're a bureau agent, you want to chuck a chuck an engine block into it to, to shut it down, because you don't want elves coming through. <laughs> elves are bad news. They're not. No, not, we're not talking Tolkien elves. We're talking elves from from our mythology. They're all bad news. Yeah. So chuck an engine block in that thing, and that shuts it down. Uh, and Pratchett elves. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. I, I play with Pratchett elves. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And never, never bread and deep fry toadstools from a ring. Mm. Okay, oh, well. it, it sounds yeah. when you you had your toadstools, Richard. <laughs> yeah. So, but, Trav, yeah. Uh, tell us about the uh, Medea family. The Maida family. Ah, yeah. Part of the cabal of family is that that we created for the D twenty edition. They have no seat of power other than what is wherever many of them happen to be at the time, i.e. political or economic power. The tactic was used to create to protect them from the violence prevalent in the early half of the 20th century. This also makes them exceedingly hard to track in this modern age. This Zaibatsu, or like mega corporation, has secretly perfected a form of interdimensional travel and seeks other business partners in other dimensions. They avoid the inner family war, spending their time securing means to survive it all. They do not like the fringe where they, their dimensional travel methods are very different than the IDA explorers. Eric and I never really uh, fleshed that out, what that dimensional travel, or as John puts it, dimensional conveyor is. But it would probably be something along the lines of just like a one-person conveyance, maybe a vehicle of some type. Like something that runs like a mini bullet train. It could be a maglev that just, you know, shoots you along and it's like... um, Buckaroo Banzai, how, you know, John Lithgow got stuck in the wall. Something like that. But yeah, the Maida, they bop between dimensions. They basically do what a lot of, not fringe pirates, but a lot of rogue IDA agents do, which is, oh, I'm going to find this higher tech, bring it back, say that I created it, and become rich. That's what the Maida do with their dimensional conveyors. They just bring back all sorts of fancy schmancy electronics and whatnot. And that's how they now secure their power. Which means there is an occasion where a Maida trans-dimensional conveyor might mess up and it might pop them, but they might end up appearing in America and not at one of their office buildings. So that means you might end up having... You know, one of these dimensional conveyors all of a sudden appear on a train track somewhere. And here's this Japanese guy in like a jumpsuit with goggles and a helmet on looking around going, how'd they end up here? So, yeah, they're going to pop in every once in a great while. Because there's just too many random variables in dimensional travel where a mistake isn't going to happen. The Maida, yeah, they, they use dimensional travel purely for financial gain. To secure their power and also to if the inner family wars get too bad where the one rogue family and I'm blanking on the name now Curlia if 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 the Curlia family gets their wish and they summon the old ones the Maida have a back door uh, a boat hole yes Oh no, they oh no, not eight no, that is definitely a plural term, Mr. Ryer. They they have more bolt holes, yeah. Yes, yeah. definitely. Because they know it's like don't put all your eggs in one basket. You know, they're going to have multiple contingency plans. They did not get as powerful as they did to be one of the Kabbalah families without having contingency plans. But yeah, that was something when Eric and I made that, we came up with the well, how'd they get their money? Oh, they went to other dimensions. And I didn't even, it didn't even occur to me the similarity of, like Blix said with his uh, interdimensional, with his Fringeworthy game. They were a bunch of cyberpunkers that found higher tech out in the Fringe Pass and they came back and they marketed it as their own. They became wealthy. 
I that didn't occur to me either, that similarity until much later. I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> because I think when we made the Kabbalah families, yeah, I don't think I was on the podcast yet, so I didn't know Blix. So I wouldn't have known that, and I just it was something Eric and I came up with. Yeah, uh, D20 came out before the podcast. Yeah, yeah. So there was no way that I could have known, you know, that 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 was similar to Blix until he had mentioned here on the podcast a few years back. The Maidas, I I kind of liked that idea. It was just something different. You see, bring back tech. You actually you talking about they're they they try and get a hold of the. Not the actual, you know, and then I can try to get a hold of that neat new toaster to try to get a hold of the, the, tech, the, the, the actual technological knowledge behind that neat new toaster is what you're saying. Or? Oh yeah. Yeah. They'll, well, no, they'll also bring back tech to reverse engineer it. So if they can get plans fine, but if they can actually bring technology back and then just pick it apart and then reverse engineer from there. That too. The Maida, that's their thing is electronics. That's their business front. What, you know, oh, the Maidas, yeah, they're, you know, massively into electronics. Yeah, among other things. But because a lot of their stuff they've gotten from other dimensions and just pick it apart. And in, you know, three, four, five years, they come up with something that is maybe a variation on a theme or the next step that they could not get because technology on the Bureau 13 Earth had come to a standstill. They couldn't do like the Termellern and use another science to go around. Another uh, method is uh, Mephisto's Marchin, which is uh, one of the uh, e evil tomes that's listed in the uh, Bureau 13 D20 edition. Uh, Richard, is this one of yours? Um, the, yes, and let's see, God, that was a long time ago. That's when we collected the Latin names for the book, it's books, and then created the books. Okay. It says it's a book of complex spells that leads to the gateways of hell and other less hospitable dimensions. It was printed in Germany, but it reached Italian, French, and English translations in very limited numbers. But the translations are very true to the original. They're always bound in leather and have the signature of the copier and his or her blood. It is one of the books that most serious practitioners of magic covet. It's also very dangerous to use yep. the spells for transport. So why is it dangerous to use the spells for transport, Richard? It's coming back is the problem. Getting the there probably is half the with you. You have to have a copy of the book if you're going to use it a second time to try to get back. So the so the book doesn't go with you. Uh, the book never goes with you. Oh, okay. Oops. Oh, so, you, so you have to read it from the book. Oh, okay. And then the book basically bootstraps you through, and then yeah, you so you have to make two copies yep. of the book. You need to take a you know, copy and, with you. And this is why you have copying machines. But can you copy a magic book and have it function? Most, Most uh, magic systems, you have to hand copy the book, right? And if you if you photograph it and then sign it, probably in your own blood. Yeah, I wouldn't do that. Of course, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> there, there would be five billion of these things. Then it would be it would be a download off of Usenet. <laughs> so a little, little thing at the bottom. Just <laughs> sign it in your blood, and it'll work. I promise you. Typically, these are one of the things that it's not even written on paper. It's written on vellum, which is straight down mm -hmm. sheepskin. You know, it's one of those things that you basically you'll spend a year doing. You know. And cursing yourself every time, every time your your nib breaks, and you got to tear a page out and put a new page in, and recopy it all over again. Well, especially if it happens, you did it on a live sheep and took it with you. <laughs> well, there's also the possibility you, that you write it on you write it on human flesh, your own. Mm. Car carving, mm. carving that flesh out and smoothing it down, and, and then <laughs> making doing. a mistake that could really suck. Yeah. All right, and then there's locations. For example, the uh, Superstition Mountains in Arizona are a weak spot to the universes of magic, dimensions, and strange worlds. Native Americans as well as Spanish conquistadors knew this centuries ago. The team Superstition Ranch has fought a number of creatures from the tra uh, from transdimensional monsters to dinosaurs and is hoped mm. in the future that a detector can be created that will predict the influence 
of a Sipapoos event and give agents lead time to prepare. I'm not quite sure what that means. Well, there's an asterisk by it, which means there's probably a footnote someplace you didn't copy. Yeah, I didn't copy that, right. Uh, <laughs> agents visiting the area are warned to expect harsh climate changes, flash floods, ill-tempered wildlife, and the unexpected. So oh, all the things we already mentioned were probably going to be accompanying an interdimensional. Uh, but that's a, a, Native, a, a Native American name, Sipapoos. Yeah. Okay. Uh, anyways, yeah. but the point is, is that uh, there are a few places that they've actually set mm-hmm. up a permanent team to watch over it because there's mm-hmm. been so many events uh, uh, related to that specific location. Yeah, and then and you th- you mentioned one, John, uh, having to do with Team Fremont. Yeah, it was basically in, in the, if you read the D20 book, there's a section there, the a team report of a of, of a dimensional incursion. Now, what I've done here is I actually had an incursion from my from my old from my five year uh, game into into Bureau 13. Uh, what was what made it unique is that the place it came from, the called the ITA, the Interdimensional Transit Authority. It's a bunch of dimensional travelers, and they are fairly strict. But also, it's a place where magic and psionics do not work, period. And when it appears, it still has their physics going. So if you have people who are psionic or magical using, this is a no magic area, no psionics area. And it could be actually physically painful to be near one of their incursions into this dimension. So it's a, it's a way of taking out uh, psionicists and, and magicians, uh, in a way, but uh, they've been basically the ITA for the most part they're scouting for places to include in their into their uh, association and then Bureau Thirteen B one of the places they go nice place to visit leave it alone go away and it'd just be people who come here to raid for things so you'd have to worry about people who basically come come over and well try to take neat tr- neat trinkets back. Yeah, or or sell snake oil, one or the other. They're, they're both kinds were prevalent in that in in that game, uh, raiders and 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 traders. So yeah, you have people, and they would trade for gold. You know, forget anything else. They want gold. <laughs> um, so, but yeah, like I said, they're detectable through uh, gravity waves because the the thing does disrupt the fabric of the universe. Of the universe the space-time continuum, so therefore you'd pick them up through gravity waves when they when they pop through. Um, so, yeah. Unfortunately, I wish I could talk more about it. Unfortunately, half the stuff is still in copyright from the, from the creators. We actually had a... It was not open It was not open source. So half the stuff I would love to be able to share, I can't because they belong to other people. Okay. But still, this team superstition... Is oh, that team, team? team Superstition at the Superstition Mountains, yes. Okay. They would be more go-to people for mm-hmm. dimensional travel because apparently just all sorts of incursions come in, and I'm sure it's not the same thing. Right. I'm sure that there are different forms of dimensional travel, intentional and otherwise, that just happen to be drawn to this area. This team would be another go-to source of okay, we've had this type of dimensional incursion. Mm-hmm. This would be something Team Superstition, it's in the files on the database. They've had six of these in the past decade. Let's go talk to them and see if we can find out more. So yeah. these would be more SMEs on dimensional incursions. Yeah, and for those who don't know what SME stands for, you know, it stands for what, Trav? Subject Matter Experts. Please refer to our SME episode that we did last year. <laughs> exactly, but, but I guess uh, I guess team superstitions are more experts in I would say rift incursions. That is, you know, there's a rift in the dimension and stuff comes popping through from random locations. Right now, sometimes you don't go to the rift; the rift comes to you. Mm-hmm. From the uh, Bureau Thirteen Paranormal Field Guide, we have black clouds. Mm. Black clouds is is a lovely. A completely black mass of boiling cloud-like material about 20 feet across. And it likes places that have a lot of pollution and a lot of man-made structures. And what it will do is if you're exposed, like say on an observation deck or out on a patio or something, at least 100 feet in the air, this thing can just come out of nowhere and just scoop you up and you're gone. Mm. 
There's no evidence that he eats you. You're just gone. So hopefully you're you're ending up someplace where you can survive, but no one knows because they this has been happening since 1966. They tend to be primarily in the New England area. They've been seen in New York, New Jersey, and Pennsylvania. I don't know why. But it usually strikes a in a single 10-mile square area for a 28-day cycle, and then it moves somewhere else. So yeah. no and one knows whether it's alive or not. It's so strange. No one knows where it, whether it's alive or just some strange um, mobile uh, locus of, of, of weirdness. Well, let, let's see. It, it has a set area. You said it's within a 10-mile radius. Yeah, a 10-mile square area for 28 days. 28 days within three states, 10-mile radius. 28 days, that's almost like a like a full lunar cycle, isn't it? It is a lunar cycle. Oh, it should be 28 and one six days. But <laughs> but yeah, I'm sorry. That, 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 that to me, it's, it's just me picking out a pattern, but that's not... It can't be random. That would have to. It was. I. Uh, this me just postulating on this what it could be. I mean, I, I'm. I'm just it kind of go with me here. It could be something in D and D known as a living spell, where somebody did try to do some dimensional incursion, and boom, the spell took on a life of its own. If it's lunar tide. It could be when it, when say when the moon occults a certain star, so it makes it it makes it random because it's you know the Earth the the the, the lunar cycle is not in sync with the year cycle. So whenever the moon occults a certain star, um, say when it when it's high you know when it's highly inclined and you know from the point of view that's when the, that's when the cycle starts at that point. But it's random enough because of the cycle all those various cycles. It would you would have to sit there and start looking, but it's still cyclical. It can still be predicted, and the fact that it happens in a ten mile radius and in a three state area, there's too many finite factors to make it a random occurrence. Now, if it popped up all over the country or all over the world, like. Well, there was one three days, and then another one five days from now, and then one the next day over here. No, this is these three finite factors. It's almost like it could be something that might have been manufactured and taking on a life of its own. This is just from from what I'm seeing here. As I said, this isn't Canada. It's just my own conjecture based on what I'm seeing here. And just to clarify, when you say a 10-mile area, basically, it's the area which the clouds appear in. It's not a 10-mile-wide cloud. It's a 20-foot diameter cloud, okay. which is a pretty small cloud. So there's a yeah. lot of places it could hide if it's so inclined. <laughs> it could hide in the sky and no one notices. it. Exactly. <laughs> but, I mean, the daytime happens sometime, but I guess it could be in a cloud, a real cloud, you know, a black mm-hmm. cloud inside of a white storm cloud. No one would know it. Right. But, but, but Trav is right, though. If it is, if it is tricking you off of something lunar, uh, some sort of lunar cycle, it'd be easy enough to go back to the astro- astronomical records and see, okay, is it happening whenever the moon occults, the, occults a certain star over this state area at a certain time? Okay, there it is. Bang. Now we know it. John, all that really yeah. means is that you know how long you've got until it relocates somewhere else if you're trying to put a stop. That That's what I mean, though. The fact that it can be tracked, though, if you're smart enough to know about Lunar and astronomical cycles. That three-state area, it could be whatever, whatever is directly under the moon at the time when it occults. So now you now you, now you, now you have a better idea where in that area. And now you can sort of say it'll happen in this twenty-mile square area someplace, maybe. You know. Well, I think you're. I think you're definitely making it easier for the bureau by doing that. <laughs> Well, uh, if it's it, with that, okay, it is predicated on that is being triggered by a certain astronomical event. If it's totally random, then it maybe you know the spe- like like Trav says the spell that you know, something triggers it. We don't know what it is. It's a random triggering, but it lasts for for one lunar cycle when it is turned on. So I would go back to when it first happened, at least. And try to track a 
pattern. Yeah. Yeah. Back in the records and see, you know, if we can figure out what might've been the random trigger or where, where it first occurred, at least where, unfortunately where it first occurred and where, where it first was reported and first occurred are never the same thing in these situations. It may have happened, you know, in some guy's garage. And then after that, it starts popping up every place else. So, you know, you don't know what happened. You see, you never really know when the first one is. Right. You, you might, the best know is when the second one happened. But more likely, it's the fifth one that happened. Is the first one that gets recorded. <laughs> so you, you have a lot of data there you can't pull from and, and, and get clean. But it, but there's got there's going to be a pattern of some sorts. You know, it may take time. It may take time to correlate all this, all this information about when and why these clouds appear. And the only person who knows what's going on is Richard. I don't think he remembers what what what, what, what was behind that. Do you remember what, what behind oh, those clouds, Richard? Oh, I really Richard? do. It's in a journal Ooh. I have in the basement. I'll will it ah. to Bruce. It's uh, from 1966. Ah, okay. So there, so there is a solution to this. We're just not going to tell you. <laughs> we have relegated it to the realm of GM fiat. Go for right. yeah. it. Yeah. Guys, gals. Okay. Maltheon incident from Screams in the Night. Right. This is a really complicated thing. It's got demon summoning in it. It's got uh, dimensional things where they're basically trying, what they're trying to do is they're trying to capture a unicorn. And you would not get that at the very beginning when it's all about demon summoning and stuff like that, that a unicorn would be involved in this adventure in any way. But it, it is. Yeah, it's, uh, this guy is is has summoned demons, and uh, they're actually I think they're there because of his dad, and he's a scientist. But uh, it's just just it's just a whole big thing. And they got an intelligent computer in here. Ultimately, what they're trying to do is to go and capture a unicorn, uh, because uh, I think the main reason is because the the main character that that this is all about is dying. And the unicorn horn, of course, is the ultimate curative for any problem. And so uh, he's yeah. been—he's me- basically been messing around with high-energy fields and materials his entire life, and has some rather nasty collection of cancers growing inside of him. Yeah. Hmm. So, uh, so, so basically, um, solidified and, and uh, either 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 uh, the equivalent of horn. Or hair, depending on how the, what the horn's made out of, most likely out of horn, out of uh, uh, basically cooling of your fingernails, is going to you know well. Of course, it's a magical being, so yeah, it probably has some magical properties. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I think I remember reading about that. I remember reading that one. Yeah, yeah, that was uh, that was interesting. Yeah, you're right. It is complicated because. You got so many red herrings, you have to. You have right, to but they're not even red herrings. They're all in itself, all bureau incidences that need to be resolved. But ultimately, mm-hmm. they're not the real mm-hmm. crux of what's going on. This is what happens. I, I think that when uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure whether I wrote this or somebody else wrote it. I think the whole point of this was to say, you know. When you start throwing in all the supernatural beings and critters that are in the Bureau 13 game, it's not always easy to see who's at the root of the problem, which is the thing that's happening because of something else that just happens to drag into the area Mm -hmm. and what things are, you know, truly, you know, what you need to put a stop to. That's one reason why we they constantly harp in the game that you've got to make sure that you're not destroying a, a, a supernatural that actually needs to be there, even if it's a not, even if it's evil. Sometimes it's per- performing a good act, you know, mm-hmm. like uh, a, a vampire might be keeping down a, a demon rat population. Mm-hmm. The bureau can't stop it without nuking the entire area, but the demon's perfectly happy to, to keep their numbers down. Uh, I mean, or, I mean the, the vampire, and the vampire himself might be evil, you know, uh, a terrible person, uh, and might have killed many, many people in the past. But you know, as long as he's willing to do something that benefits the United States, you know, through its uh, uh, its its cascading ethics, the, the bureau is probably going to allow it. Mm-hmm. All you have to do is make sure you're keeping you in fresh blood. That's what the de- that's what the demon uh, rats are all about. 
Mm. Okay, and then we had the Bureau 13 file called The Block from Screams in the Night. And this was a literally a block. This was like it was basically before Richard did his weird zone, and this was essentially a a, a block that just kept slipping in and out. I mean, it was <laughs> it just if you got onto the block before it shifted, you were basically stuck on the block after that, and it would just keep shifting from one city to another, one usually bad or a bad urban area to another. You never ended up in a good area. It was always a seedy place with bars and and Ooh. people shooting up in the corners, and you know uh, po- all kinds of. Of, of, of possible things going on, and it would find its way from one city, one era, one dimension to another, uh, and that's what it was about. It was literally a, it was a little thing. It wasn't a full adventure. It was just like this might pop into your into your area, or even into your adventure while you were running another adventure, and just and and make it complicated because all of a sudden you'd have to deal with this too. So it's a block of dune. Yeah. It's a block of yeah. Dune. Indeed. Let's see what you did there. A scuzzy block of Dune. Yeah. <laughs> and speaking of scuzzy blocks of Dune, then there was the Overby incident from Stalking the Seal City. This was me trying to say, okay, how do I destroy the world? And I had mm. an artist who could draw really wonderful monsters. And so I set this whole thing up. Fine. What? Fine Siegenthalter. Klein Psychothaler, yes, uh, yes. Excellent. Your covers. I used them, yep. And I, I, are you in contact with it? Because I haven't heard from yes. him in years. Yep. Oh, great. Uh, he'll be at Amcon uh, probably um, this uh, last week in April. Well, if you see him, tell him I said hi. You know, I still have his painting that he uh, he sold me. And it's, mm-hmm. it's, 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 it's in a place of honor. Uh, anyways, in this case, you have um, one of those things. Uh, and I, I didn't mention it back as to how the Bureau knows uh, about a, uh, a portal uh, or a dimensional rift. Sometime the time is right. The stars are right. Okay, mm-hmm. you know the, the legends say that when these things happen, a rift is going to appear to some place, and the bureau has to be on its toes. Well, that's what's going on in the Overby incident. He is a carcist. He's actually a you know world-renowned flutist. He's got his hands on a flute that actually helps open the way between dimensions. And he knows that this is the time when a really powerful dimension with beings in it, the, the, the fabric between Earth you know, and that place is weakening. And if he uses, if he goes and does a ritual at a high place, you know, with all the, the, the special symbols etched and playing the flute, he'll be able to open up a gigantic portal and literally hell will be, uh, well, not the hell with demons, but a extra-dimensional hell will literally pour through into this world and destroy everything. And that's literally the adventure is stopping him. Because if you don't, then you have a whole other adventure that follows it, which is, what do you do now? Because, you know, you've got mm-hmm. everything... As you can imagine, pouring through that that thing is this. This is the time when you might actually want to summon an angel and say, uh, "This is kind of like above my as Pat, as Trav would say, this is above my pay grade." Angel, come on, help us out here. This would be an omega level event, as I call absolutely it. an omega level event. Was that what I was going for? Yeah, stop it, or it's you know it's really bad. End okay. game. Yeah. yeah. This time, this time, please send Michael. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah. He's, he's, there's plenty. There's plenty for him to do. So, yeah. This this took place uh, is a stocking the steel city. So I had to set up on the top of the PPG building, which is made. It looks like a big giant glass tower. Oh yeah, I've seen it. Yeah, I got yeah. I- top of it is all these little spires. Just perfect to put out all kinds of art so symbols. I have to stuff. ask the question because I don't remember from the book from the from the adventure why he's dying. His wife died, and he mm-hmm. felt that uh, the, the doctors could have done something, and they didn't. So, yeah. you know, he's just got uh. a real big mad on, and he has the ability to destroy the world, and he's going to do it. The solipus reason. I'm going to die, and I want the world to die with me. Yeah. 
Well, he's dying too, but his wife yeah. died earlier, which is what set yeah. him off on this route of of looking for you know supernatural mm-hmm. stuff. So, anyways, so that was that was the Overby incident, and the last mm-hmm. one, which I mentioned way back at the beginning, was Warp for Good, also from Stalking the Still City, which was the Bill Bailey incident of a young man who gained this this psychic the psionic ability to move himself through dimensions and also to throw push people into other dimensions as he chose. And he decided to clean up his neighborhood. He was just a teenager when this started. He's been in uh, a one or another of my fringeworthy campaigns, but he's such a powerful dude that he kind of breaks the limitations. You don't have to worry about people being fringeworthy anymore. He just says, oh, you want to go over there? <clears throat> there you go. Wow. Okay. Can, can he pull them back? Push them there, but he has to go and grab them and then push them back. If he uh, wants, if he if he's uh, he can't like summon them from another dimension. He himself can travel easily from dimension to dimension, but he he, he has to push them away to, to move them to another. So there's that kind of limitation, but that's not much of a limitation because he can do groups of people too. Yeah. So you know, I that, suspect something is wrong with Pittsburgh because we have so many scenarios that happen in Pittsburgh. And a new movie just came out called, was it Parallels? About a building that's a, a dimensional conveyor. And uh, mm. people get in, into the building, and then basically it's, it's, it's sliding dimensions. Uh-huh. Mm. And it's actually quite a good movie. It probably was a, a uh, TV pilot that didn't make it. Yeah. But it's on Netflix, and we saw it yeah. last week, and it was absolutely phenomenal. Well, yeah. I really well, enjoyed it. Richard, you know, Pittsburgh, and of course, in the, if you can tell from this podcast, New Jersey, two hotbeds of dimensional travel. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Not that we're picking on our Pittsburgh and Jersey, you know, players and game masters. <laughs> well, th- there's historically a lot of reason for it. And that is, is that, you know, Pittsburgh was a jumping off place from the so-called civilized world to the, you know, the territories, the, un- yeah. You know, the, where the Indians, the Native Americans lived and, and stuff. Then Chicago, then St. Louis. Right. Yeah. But it was one of the early ones. And so as a result, it had a big infusion of people from all different mm-hmm. cultures all coming together with that being their jumping off spot. So, of course, any supernatural that might be associated with these people would also be drawn to those locations right. group mm-hmm. along with those people. Artifacts would be left mm-hmm. behind. It's also a convergence of two, uh, two rivers. And so anything that might be carried along from the Catskills or the, uh, you know, the, the other parts, you know, there's, there's Allegheny, the Allegheny and Monongahela come together to form the Ohio. You know, yeah. that is, that is the, the, the origin of the Ohio river, which then flows down through many States and goes into the Mississippi. So I'm just saying is that if things, you know, could come together and get deposited there, it, it's just, you know, there's a lot of things, you know, that, that could be used in that purpose. And there were a lot of Native mm-hmm. Americans who lived there. The river itself has multiple layers to it. There are actually stagnant water layers under the bed of the river where things could be living in them. Who knows? If you remember Shannon Trish that I put into D20, and they later have since become Team Cavalier, those are my friends. They live in in Pittsburgh area. They've told me some... They told me some stories back in the day. Shannon told me a story or two about the stuff that goes on there. Right. So historically, there's a lot of legends and, and just stories about Pittsburgh. And of course, you know, all, all, almost all these adventures that took place, I, uh, I wrote them and I made them up, you know, except for a couple that were provided by uh, uh, the ones I haven't mentioned, you know, were provided by J.P. Withers and a, num- and a couple of other people who were also wrote in that particular book. Ah. There's a lot more stuff that could happen in Pittsburgh, but we wanted I, I wanted to do a location book so that if you did want to create a uh, location team, then there would be something for them to do. Okay. It'd yeah. be easy enough to say, hey, we're gonna set up a team in Pittsburgh and these here here's like eight adventures for them to take place. Okay, check back with me in a year, and okay, by that point you probably are making up your own. Now so, now thinking about this, because I can see the bureau going the other direction too, at some point, realizing that okay, we've got these people coming from other dimensions, taking our stuff, you know, setting up trying to set up shop. 
we need to be able to deal with these people more effectively. And we have Ray Robinson and we have Flash Jervis. Maybe we should build our own, you know, ex-dem team. You know, basically a team whose purpose is to go over there. Take the fight to them if they decide to come here. An ex-team specifically designed to deal with dimensional travel. In the Stalking the Steel City book, one of the the adventures that is not part of this particular podcast was the uh, alternate dimension uh, reality generator. And Mm. this was a device that would allow you to alter the the reality in a – well, it was supposed to be a relatively small area, but it could be amplified if someone had psychic powers. Uh, But anyways, the, uh, the point was you could change the reality of the area you're in either to you know, make it inimicable to the to where you were going, or to maintain the reality you were used to when you went into an inimicable dimension. It was backpack designed, so you could just put it on, and 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 one of your guys would you know fiddle it and make adjustments, and and you'd be able to go to these other dimensions, and like as you say, take the battle to them. A reality anchor, right? Your all your guns are going to keep working in that magic world, or mm-hmm. your. Uh, uh, whatever else, you know, your high energy physics devices, or even your yeah. communicators will continue to work because uh, those whatever the laws of physics are, that are in, in there. And if, of course, if it's a completely amorphous universe where there is no stability and things are changing all the time, well, it, you'll survive because it'll and give you what you need in order to not be ripped into the chaos. And somewhere in the White Sands region of Nevada. There's this base that you drive down, you drive into. It looks like a, a normal base until the, the ground drops and you go into this base. <laughs> and there's this giant, giant tunnel that the team goes through to go to these other dimensions. The dimension tunnel. <laughs> and with that, I've got to get going. You take your yeah. care tonight. Have fun. All right. These are all things that have been published by TriTag Games uh, for its Bureau 13 world. Now, of course, mm-hmm. you know, as, as John keeps mentioning, you know, that there is no limitation on the stories that can be brought into Bureau 13. It's, uh, mm-hmm. It has so many overlapping dimensions and uh, pocket dimensions and realities and beings walking around that are their own reality in and of themselves that anything that you wanted to do in the Bureau 13 world could probably happen. And so we encourage people to run in a lot of different dimensions uh, in a lot of different ways, preferably with scissors, and, <laughs> and have and and you know uh, do your best to uh, destroy your Bureau Thirteen world so that your players have some something to do you know when they're out there <laughs> besides stop um, goblin incursions and make sure that when you turn you know investigate all those disappearance of people who may. A mysterious left-hand turn and vanished. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yes. All those poor people that have turned left-hand by accident, and he, and more importantly, the poor people that were on the bus that turned left accident. <laughs> bus driver was trying to avoid that puppy and dodged to the left, and oh my goodness. <laughs> uh, that trip to the winery was not not the same ever ever after that. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks, everybody, for listening to the podcast. Uh, We hope you've gotten something out of this, that if you're designing uh, an interdimensional incursion, uh, writing a story about this, and hopefully writing an adventure for Bureau 13, we hope you use this this stuff. We hope it's been helpful. And if you have any other ideas about anything we haven't covered, please uh, post that on our various uh, boards, uh, the TriTechGamers.com, the Yahoo groups, and especially our Facebook, Bureau 13 Agents Among Us, and, yeah. uh, and of course, Fringeworthy and fans of the TriTech Games podcast. And even on the Podbean site, too. If you have ideas, put them there along with your comments and suggestions. And don't forget our Twitter feed. Uh, hash- oh, yes. At TriTech Games. Well, thanks, everybody. And we'll have more for you next week. But until then. This is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there. So go explore them. This is John Ryer saying keep your powder dry and keep those cards and letters coming in. This is Blix. 
Don't hate the game, hate the players. This is Richard Tahoka. Wait till you see what's coming next. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Yo, brothers. This was the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. You know the drill. It's protected under the Creative Commons License 3.0. No commercial reproduction, no derivatives, and sucker, you best attribute this to the folks at Tri-Tech Games. And if you don't, we'll be after your sorry butts, because we're some bad mothers. Hi, this is Trav of the Travcast, Hour 3 of Blind Wolf's Rubber Room Association on DementiaRadio.org, Tuesdays, 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern.